you have a Bible, please turn with me to Joshua chapter 19 as we continue with our studies in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 19, and we'll read the entire chapter through together. This is God's word. The second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the people of Simeon, according to their clans. And their inheritance was in the midst of the inheritance of the people of Judah. And they had for their inheritance Beersheba, Sheba, Mulada, Hezerjual, Bela, Ezem, Ertolad, Bethel, Horma, Ziklag, Beth Markaboth, Hezar Susa, Beth Lebeoth, and Sharahen. Thirteen cities with their villages. Ian, Rimon, Ether, and Ashen. Four cities with their villages. Together with all the villages and these cities, as far as Beleth Beer, Ramah of the Negev. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Simeon according to their clans. The inheritance of the people of Simeon formed part of the territory of the people of Judah because the portion of the people of Judah was too large for them. The people of Simeon obtained an inheritance in the midst of their inheritance. The third lot came up for the people of Zebulun, according to their clans. And the territory of their inheritance reached as far as Sarad. Then their boundary goes up westward westward, and on to Marial and touches Dabasheth, then the brook that is east of Jokneam. From Sarad it goes in the other direction eastward, toward the sunrise to the boundary of Chisloth-Tabor. From there, it goes to Dabarath, then up to Japhia. From there, it passes along on the east toward the sunrise to Gath-Hefer, to Eth-Kazin, and going on to Rimen, it bends towards Nia. Then, on the north, the boundary turns about to Hanathon, and it ends at the valley of Eftahel. And Katath, Nahalal, Shimron, Idalah, and Bethlehem, twelve cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the people of Zebulun according to their clans. These cities with their villages. The fourth lot came out for Issachar. For the people of Issachar, according to their clans. Their territory included Jezreel, Cheshuloth, Shunem, Hapharem, Shion, Anaharath, Rabbath, Kishon, Ebez, Remeth, Enganim, Enhada, Bethpazes. The boundary also touches Tabor. Shahazuma and Beth Shemesh. 
and its boundary ends at the Jordan. Sixteen villages with, sorry, sixteen cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Issachar, according to their clans, the cities with their villages. The fifth lot came out for the tribe of Asher, according to their clans. Their territory included Helkath, Halai, Betan, Akshath, Alemelech, Amad, and Mishah. On the west, it touches Carmel and Shihor-Libnath. Then it turns eastward. It goes on to Beth-Dagon and touches Zebulun and the valley of Ephtahel, northward to Beth-Emach and Neal. Then it continues in the north to Kabul, Ebron, Rehob, Hamon, Cana, and as far as Sidon the Great. Then the boundary turns to Ramah, reaching to the fortified city of Tyre. Then the boundary turns to Husa, and it ends at the sea. Mehalab, Aksib, Uma, Afak, and Rehob. Twenty-two cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Asher, according to their clans. These cities with their villages. The sixth lot came out for the people of Naphtali. For the people of Naphtali, according to their clans. And their boundary ran from Heleph, from the yoke in Zeanam, and Adami, Nekeb, and Jabniel, as far as Lachan, and it ended at the Jordan. Then the boundary turns westward to Asnoth Tabor, and goes from there to Hukuk, touching Zebulon at the south, and Asher on the west, and Judah on the east at the Jordan. The fortified cities are Zidim, Zer, Hamoth, Rakath, Shinnereth, Adama, Rema, Hezor, Keresh, Edrai, on Hazor, Yeron, Migdalel, Horem, Bethanath, and Beth Shemesh. Nineteen cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Naphtali, according to their clans. The cities with their villages. The seventh lot came out for the tribe of the people of Dan, according to their clans. And the territory of its inheritance included Zorah, Eshtaol, Er Shemesh, Shealabin, Ajalon, Ethla, Elon, Timnah, Akron, Eltica, Gibbethon, Baaleth, Jehud, Binabarak, Gathrimmon, and Majorcan. And Rakan with the territory over against Joppa. When the territory of the people of Dan was lost to them, the people of Dan went up and fought against Leshem. And after capturing it and striking it with the sword, they took possession of it and settled in it, calling Leshem Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Dan, according to their clans, these cities with 
their villages. When they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. By command of the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked, Timnath-Serah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he rebuilt the city and settled in it. These are the inheritances that Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel distributed by lot at Shiloh before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. Let's come to God and ask for his help as we consider his word again this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, what a privilege it is to be together again um, around your word. We thank you that your word is living, your word is active, your word is able to pierce to your very being and, and do that work of transformation within us, even making us more like Christ. And Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray as we have been singing that we will know the goodness and the faithfulness again of God as we consider Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. So Father, may your spirit draw us to your son, the Lord Jesus, this morning again, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, last week we had a break from land allotment to think about worship. Worshipping God in his presence. That great goal and purpose of heaven. And in Joshua, as God's people stepped back to worship in his presence, this was just what they needed to motivate and inspire them to continue in obedience to God, taking, conquering, settling in the land that God is giving them. But I'm sure we will be able to identify with God's people that when the rubber hits the road, so to speak, God's presence and power is often not felt so strong. We're not just as motivated as we thought we would be, and we're not just as inspired to continue obeying God as perhaps we thought we would be. I know I can identify with this. Perhaps on a Sunday morning as we meet together like this, or perhaps you've attended a conference at some point or other with Bible teaching there, Perhaps you've been to some other praise and worship event, and at those times you're, you're really sensing that presence of God strong, and perhaps you make promises to God, promises of obedience. Perhaps those sins you're struggling to put to death, when you're in that moment of worship, you see God for who he is, and you commit to God. You think, God, I will never do that sin again. I'm not going to do it again. But it's not wise to make such promises. Ecclesiastes warns us against making 
in a rash vows like these to God. But hopefully you can see what I mean. When we're in those moments, it's like we can see everything clearly. But when the rubber hits the road for us, um, on Monday at 6am or Tuesday at 3pm or Wednesday at 10pm or whatever it may be, it's sometimes not so easy to keep the promise we often feel and we often disobey God. And sadly, this is something of what we're seeing in Joshua 19. God's people, they've had that focus again of worship. They have been assured of God's presence, which should have motivated obedience to the Lord. But sadly, disobedience is what follows. We've already picked up on the failure of the various, some tribes, the failure of Judah, we saw at the end of chapter 15, the failure of Ephraim, chapter 16, and the failure of Manasseh, chapter 17. And unfortunately, as we move into chapter 19, the picture gets no better. Now, chapter 19 concludes the allotting of land to the various tribes, apart from Levi, um, who will be given cities throughout the different tribes. But the, the allocation of the land of the various tribes, we saw west of the Jordan in chapters 14. And, sorry, the allocation to the land of the various tribes from chapter 14 to 19 can be divided into two sections. So we had chapters 14 to 17, dealing with the allotment of Judah and Joseph. Then chapters 18 and 19, dealing with the remaining tribes. And as we look at the overall picture within these two sections, we see a repeated pattern. The first section, chapters 14 to 17, began with faithful Caleb, and that was contrasted then with the failure of Judah and Joseph. The second section, um, chapters 18 and 19, begins with the failure of these seven tribes, and that is then contrasted with faithful Joshua. Both sections, we see both failure and faith. Failure and faith. Now, this pattern began much earlier in Numbers 13 and 14, and we have referred to this many times. Twelve spies, one from each tribe, were were sent out to spy out the land of Canaan. The twelve spies returned. Um, Each reported how good the land was, but only two, Joshua and Caleb, believed that God was able to deliver. That he would be able to defeat their enemies, bring them into the land, just as he said he would. In Numbers, we see the minority um, were the faithful, while the majority were the faithless, or the failures, we might say. And God said that from those people, only Caleb and Joshua would be brought into Canaan, the promised land. 
All of that generation, over 20, died in the wilderness and did not see the promised land. And the reality that we see this morning in Joshua 19 is again the faith of the minority and the failure of the majority. It is no different in a new generation. And that's simply what I want us to think about um, this morning from Joshua 19. We'll spend some time thinking about failure and then faith. So let's think about failure. You may have noticed as we read through the passage this morning that the details given to these tribes, they're a lot sparser than we have seen before. Some boundary descriptions are not included. And some would suggest this more scattered and vague detail actually points to the increase of failure um, of God's people to do what God had asked them to do. That is, to take, to possess the land, and to settle it. So failure of the tribes may be picked out in subtle ways, but we can also see the, this pattern of failure um, more explicitly. The second lot we see fell to the tribe of, of Simeon. You can see the tribes on the, the map on the screen there. And the, the first lot came to Benjamin, we, we saw last week. But then comes to Simeon. Simeon has no boundary description. And the reason is given for that in verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me. The inheritance of the tribe of the people of Simeon formed part of the territory of Judah. Because the portion of the people of Judah was too large for them, the people of Simeon obtained an inheritance in the midst of their inheritance. Now this possibly highlights the failure of the tribe of Judah. We have already been told in chapter 15 that they failed to drive out people at Jerusalem. So perhaps we could say because Judah failed to take over land in that particular place, then this portion was given to Simeon. But the reason for Simeon being allotted land actually goes back much further. And we go back to Genesis 49, again a passage that we have referred to different times in this study. And Genesis 49 is the time when Jacob, um, or Israel, came to bless his sons before dying. And in Genesis 49 and verse 5, we read this of Simeon. So Jacob says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory be not joined to their company. For in anger... They kindled men, and in willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. Now the violence and the anger that Jacob is referring to here, that Simeon and Levi were involved in, is from Genesis 34. Simeon and Levi were trying to get revenge for a crime against their sister, Dinah. 
And, and as they, 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 they strive to get revenge, they acted with deceit. They attacked the men of the city where this happened, when they were vulnerable. And they killed every man in that city. And in doing that, they, they put their father and indeed their whole family um, in danger. And after this incident, Jacob said to his sons, he said, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. So you see, they put their whole family in danger. And so as Jacob comes to address each of his children before dying, in light of this in Genesis 34, he brings a curse on Simeon and Levi. This is what he says, Genesis 49, verse 7. He says, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And so here in Joshua 19, we are seeing the, the outworking, really, and the reality of the curse that was brought upon these two brothers in Genesis 49. That's Simeon. The third lot came up for the people of Zebulun. They are given an area west um, of the Sea of Galilee. The fourth lot then for Issachar. Um, they're bordering Zebulon. They have less details again. The fifth lot for the tribe of Asher, the little narrow um, strip along the Mediterranean Sea, which hopefully you can pick out. The sixth lot then fell to Naphtali, bordering Asher to the west and the Sea of Galilee to the east. It is in Naphtali where Capernaum is situated, which will be familiar to us from the Gospels, a place where Jesus spent so much of his time teaching. Um, he preached his famous sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, and he performed many healings in this area. The seventh slot then fell to the tribe of Dan. Now, Dan are unique. Not because they failed to drive out enemies as other tribes had failed to do, but because they actually abandoned their allotted territory and migrated elsewhere. We might say that, that their failure superseded the other tribes. Now, the land that is described here in Joshua 19 is the Dan that hopefully you can see on the screen bordering west of Ephraim. That is the land that the Lord gave to them and that Joshua allotted to them. But the land they actually captured and possessed is north, further north in the territory of Naphtali. Dan is actually marked on the map. It's perhaps tricky to, to see but look at verse 47 with me, because we're told more about this. When the territory of the people of Dan was lost to them, the people of Dan went up and fought against Leshem. That's up in the territory of Naphtali. And after capturing it and striking it with the sword, 
they took possession of it and settled in it, calling Leshem Dan, after the name of Dan, their ancestor. Now notice what they did in this city of Leshem. They fought, they captured, they struck, they took possession, and they settled. All the things they should have done in the land that the Lord had given them. Very obvious failure of the tribe of Dan. But we've got to look forward and see the full extent of their failure. Judges 18 explains in more detail that this process of capturing the city Leshem. Sudan, they did not want the land that God had given them. And so they came up with a plan and they sent out five men in search of another land. They began by going to the territory of Ephraim and when they were there they came to the house of Micah and there they spoke to a Levite priest who was hired by the house of Micah. Well, that was okay. The five men moved on from there. They came then to this city, Leshem. And when they came to Leshem, they were observing and they saw that the people there, they were safe. They were unsuspecting. They were quiet, we read in Judges 18. They, they lacked nothing. And so these five men thought, right, this is, this is the place for us. Here they find a really easy target. So they reported back to the people of Dan and it was agreed then they sent 600 men armed with weapons of war and they went out to capture this city of Leshem. And as they were going, again they made a stop in the territory of Ephraim. Now the five men that had previously been there, they said to their fellow men this time, they said, there's a house here, we saw it last time, uh, and it has an ephod, that's a priest's garment, it has household gods, it has a carved image, and a metal image. Now we're beginning to see the picture. The house of Micah had hired a priest to serve them in their idol worship. Now, of course, the priest shouldn't have agreed to it, but he did for his own advantage. And, of course, when the people of Dan saw what was going on, they should have destroyed all they saw in the house of Micah. But instead, what do they do? They make the priest a better offer. They persuade the priest to come with them, to bring the gods, to bring the images, and to set up idol worship in the place of Leshem, which they renamed Dan. Judges 18.30, we read, The people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up the carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Now we move on um, quite some time into the period of the kings. And with a man there, Jeroboam, and a prophet came to Jeroboam 
And he said to Jeroboam, he told him that God was going to tear the kingdom of Israel apart from Solomon. He would give ten tribes to Jeroboam, but one tribe will remain to Solomon to fulfill God's promise. And the reason is given very simply why this is going to happen. God says, because they have forsaken me and worshipped other gods. The kingdom of God would be divided because of idolatry. Now what did Jeroboam do? Second Kings 12, he made two gold calves and he said to the people, he said, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough, stop going up there. Your gods, the ones who brought you out of the land of Egypt, they're here. Worship them here. And he set one god in Bethel and he put another god in Dan. Remember that old generation that died out. Remember when Moses was meeting with God at Mount Sinai? What happened there? The people became frustrated waiting. They began looking to the other nations around. They thought they could have more than what God was able to give them. And under the direction of Aaron the Levite, they made a golden calf and they worshipped it as the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt. One generation failed. Another generation failed. We can go further again in the second Kings 17. And we see that Israel, that is those ten northern tribes, they were eventually captured by Assyria and taken from their land. Why did this happen? Very simply, Second Kings 17, 7. This occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord. They followed other nations and their gods. And this all began because God's people were not content with what God had given them. They rejected God's gift and so they rejected God himself. They ignored God's word. They thought they knew better. They thought they could get better and more and greater by themselves. They thought they could gain peace and security and rest by themselves. But of course they couldn't do it. They failed. And so I think often we, we, we read the history of Israel and we can be very quick to say, how could you do this? Setting up gold carved images and giving them credit for what God alone could do. How could you look to these things? And yet the sad reality is that their lives are just all too much a picture of our own lives and hearts. So often discontent with the lot that God gives us. So often not trusting God's promises us. So often spending time looking for peace and security and rest in anything and anyone but God. 
So what we see in Joshua 19, the overall pattern of the people of God is one of failure. But one stands out different, and that is Joshua. Here we see faith. We see in his life not a picture of failure, but of faith. Look at verse 49 with me. When they had finished distributing the, the several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. By command of the Lord, they gave the city that he asked, Timnath Serah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he rebuilt the city and settled in it. Joshua served all the tribes before receiving his own inheritance from God that he had been promised from Numbers. Then he received a city in the hill country of Ephraim. That was his own tribe. And received it in the hill country. That's where the tribe of Joseph in chapter 17 said they didn't want it. But he received the land. He built the city. And he settled there. And how different his summary is to these other tribes. And then in verse 51, we really have a summary of chapters 13 to 19. This entire section of allotting land. We read there, These are the inheritances that Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel distributed by Lot at Shiloh before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And so they finished dividing the land. There's a real completeness um, to this task that was given by God of land division. And, And this summary verse is... Just a real witness to the fact that God is faithful. God keeps his promises. What God says he will do, he will do. So there we see the failure of the people and the faithfulness of God. Now this has been the truth of all ages. Right from the very first man and the very first woman. Paul speaks about this in Romans 5. He says the very first man, Adam, was a failure. He he failed to obey God. He failed to trust God's word. Adam looked outside of God for something more than what God had already given him. Thinking... Perhaps he could somehow have better and more and greater, perhaps more joy, more, more satisfaction, more control, more whatever. And Romans 5 teaches us that actually that is every human. As Adam was a failure, as Israel was a failure, so we are all failures. To be human is to be a failure. Now don't be too offended because... We can all empathize with each other. Now we will have areas of success in our lives 
you perhaps you might have success in family or career or, or some hobby or something else. That may be true, but in terms of living faithfully, obediently to God, we are all failures. We cannot get to God's promised place of rest and joy and security because of our own failure. But God is faithful. And he has provided a way for us to know his rest and to experience his joy. Paul teaches us again in Romans 5 that while the majority, all humanity, failed, there is one man, the minority, Jesus Christ, who did not fail. See, our only hope of this land of rest and joy and peace and so forth, our only hope is in the life of another. Jesus Christ, the faithful one. He lived on this earth in perfect obedience to God, trusting God's word completely. Jesus Christ, the faithful one, died in obedience to God in place of all the failures. Jesus Christ rose again, proving his success, proving his victory and all that God had given him to do on this earth and proving the faithfulness of God. The good news for failures today is that the success and the victory of Jesus Christ can be yours by faith. Paul tells us this righteousness, this obedience of Jesus Christ comes to us as a free gift. If you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, perhaps you do feel like a failure. Perhaps you you know you just can't live this obedient life. May you accept God's gift to you in Jesus Christ and know the sure and the certain hope of heaven's rest. Perhaps you do have faith in Jesus Christ and yet you still feel like a failure. You're just all too aware of the many times that you disobey God over and over and over again. You need to be assured again the hope of heaven does not depend on your obedience but on the obedience of Jesus Christ. You know, we spent quite some time last week thinking about our responsibility in serving God and that is there. But don't ever think that your service to God now is either earning you or keeping you a place in heaven. We read in 1 Thessalonians 5, speaking about that final day of rest. Paul says, He who calls you is faithful. He, that is God who is faithful, he will surely do it. In other words, he will get you there, not yourself. 1 Corinthians 1.9, again referring to that final day, Paul speaking to believers who were big time failures, we might say. How does he reassure this group of believers? He says simply, God is faithful. In spite of your failure, in spite of your sin, God is the one who will get you there in the end. 
2 Timothy 2.13. Paul says, if we are faithless, God remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God cannot say he will do something and then not do it. Numbers 23, God is not a man that he should lie or change his mind. God says he does, he will do. You see, our hope, it's not in ourselves, but in the faithfulness of God. And as we strive to bring this message of God's faithfulness to others, let's be really sure that's the message we are bringing. We're failures. <laughs> let's not be afraid to tell anyone. We're failures. But God has been faithful to us. Our only hope, the only hope of anyone else, is in the faithful one, Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, we are just in wonder again of your faithfulness to us. Of your faithfulness to failures, of your faithfulness to faithless people, of your faithfulness to those who just cannot obey you, cannot be righteous. And we thank you for your faithfulness to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you. He is our only hope. He is all we need. He has been perfect in obedience, perfect in righteousness. We thank you this morning for Jesus Christ. Father, give us better grasp of these truths. May it change us now as we continue to strive and to battle sin and to even become more like Christ. May we know all that he has accomplished for us. May it lift us from guilt and despair. May it push us on towards that final day which you will surely bring us to. And Father, as we strive to bring this message to others who do not know, Father, forgive us if we have ever promoted or presented ourselves as something in this great gospel. Forgive us, Lord, for if we have ever put the burden on others that would suggest that, that they can somehow save themselves. Forgive us for even presenting just a, a good life or anything in us, God. But may we be humble enough to allow others to know that we are failures, but we have a faithful God who has made provision in the perfect one, Jesus Christ to give us the eternal hope of rest, security, peace, and joy. May we gladly point others to Christ. Help us, we pray, for your own sake and your own glory.